0: Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on the podcast app of your choice and make sure you check out all the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today, he is simply one of my favorite people to chat about wrestling with. It's Mr. Howard Schilling. And we're digging into Cody Rhodes versus MJF from Revolution 2020. Howard, welcome to the show. How are you going today?
1: Fantastic, Sam. Uh, Thanks for having me on. And thanks to everyone who contributed to the list and everything like that. It was a phenomenal undertaking. And I'm just glad to be part of it. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: shout outs to all the people who who contributed to the definitive match guide. If you haven't read it, the link is in the description for the podcast and in the notes for the podcast. And you can find it on wrestling headlines. Worth a worth a read. There's lots of really great insight there. And and this, of course, this match came from that, as all the matches that we dig into here on the podcast do. Howard, as I ask everyone on the podcast, how did you get into
1: AEW? So I got into AEW just because, well, I've been a wrestling fan most of my life and everything like that. I followed WCW, I followed WWE, and I still do to some extent, as well as New Japan Pro Wrestling, but I needed kind of something new. AEW had a lot of great build behind it, but your own, you can have the best build in the world. you got to be able to put on product that delivers and captivates an audience, and so far... AEW's really done that. Um, Mm. I mean, the fact that you were able to get 50 really great matches for this guide is kind of a testament Mm. to that. I know you probably, if you want, you could have extended that list to 100 and still come up with a lot of really great matches. I know there were probably a lot of big big honorable mentions. So AEW right now, they're not perfect as a wrestling company. But, you know they just turn out overall really solid work and i'm excited to see not only you know what they've done the past two years but where they go in the future and yeah. this match cody versus mjf certainly one of the landmark matches um not surprised yeah. to
0: absolutely and i think it will as we'll dig into and everything i think this one will only become more and more important as time progresses and as we see mjf just continue to to, on his trajectory onwards and upwards, wherever he may end up, I, I think it's pretty obvious that he's going to end up somewhere pretty special when it's all said and done for him in, you know, who knows how many years' time. As as you said, we are talking about Cody Rhodes versus MJF from Revolution 2020. Uh, to introduce the match, as we always do, we give it its flowers. Um, Big Papa Dave, he gave it 3.5 stars. Cage match. Currently rated at 6.76. Tough markers there at cage match, I've got to say. And in the definitive match guide uh, that we did earlier in the year, or early last year actually, it's really, that that change of years really really catches up with you. <laughs> it came in 39th out of, out of uh, the 50 matches that ended up ranking on there. Of course, as Howard said, a big tale of honourable mentions, but that's where it came in. Uh, in terms of this match itself, uh, I, I think we really do need to dig into the build. Uh, every On the definitive match guide, everyone who, who wrote and voted for this one um, and wrote about it mentioned the build. So we really do have to to dig into this and this one really goes back a long way for for aw um goes all the way back to all out where cody made a captain's pick uh when they were laying out the card uh for the show and i don't know how how real or in kayfabe that that was but the idea was that cody saw this tape by mjf uh and he made him this person that he picked to be on in all out uh, and that sort of set up their relationship and of course mjf took that with two hands you know at all out he was the him he, he, he was in the first match uh, that was on the the actual pay-per-view section of that of that card and he immediately made an impact he set up his character he he went on about marketing himself uh and if AEW had never happened he still had used that all out appearance to to great effect howard what were your some of your first impressions of mjf when he popped
1: up well i actually uh started looking at mjf back when he was working for major league wrestling as part of the dynasty with alex hammerstone and um, was that before
0: all out or was that after all Out? i don't know
1: A little bit before and sorry for him, but a little bit during um, I know that he kind of signed an exclusive deal with AEW or is that exclusive as, you know, they can get Um, Hmm. MJF's persona that he's shown in AEW is kind of like his. um, He was the leader of the dynasty and everything like that. That's where he came up with his catchphrase. I'm better than you and you know it. And it's a more fleshed out version. Honestly, if you get the chance, kind of take a look at his old stuff there and then it's amplified and he's done such great work. And you look, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, but his his first two major feuds, um, have been with two of the best storytellers in the, arguably Mm. in the recent business in Cody Mm. Rhodes and, uh, most recently, kind of Chris Jericho. Um, and I know we'll and, get, And, you know,
0: just throw John Moxley in the middle there
1: just to round yeah. it out. <laughs> no <slut> just, <laughs> just randomly, that little, you know, we deserve better. Um, mini food with Moxley. No, that wasn't a star making performance at all for him. That was an approving <laughs> ground at all, you know. But it's awesome to kind of see where he's evolved from this great, you know, because MLW is a great company in general. But to see him kind of just take that and take the rocket and run with it, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I think he's only what – and he's really young too. Um, Like you say, he's kind of been bred for greatness. He's only like 25 I think. And as we'll kind of get into more probably as this goes on, the fact that he's this good, this young, and he seems to get it, it it can only speak well for his um, trajectory hopefully in the business like – He's the heel that everyone, I think, loves to hate. Like, yeah, I and know- he really
0: he really plays into that with like how he he stays in character so much online and on and in person. But, it, but in a way that sort of plays with the fans, it's not a mean spirited way. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. not he's doing it in a way that the fans love to get involved in and get invested in, which is really good. That was there from the start. Like he was doing that blending of reality and kayfabe so early on, and he deserves immense credit for how he's found this character. And he's finessed it and changed it a little bit. But, you know, the bare bones were there from the start in all out. Uh, and mm-hmm. he is really – brought that in in a way that fans have, have engaged with and emotionally invested in, um, even if it's emotionally investing in wanting to see him get his face punched in. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. And of course, the other side of this match MJ, uh, from MJF is Cody, who uh, of course is one of the founders of AEW, one of the EVPs, positioned as the figurehead of the company early on. Early on, he had MJF beside him as his sort of best friend or protege. Uh, they, they sort of fleshed out that relationship particularly on bte how mjf would act like a jerk to everyone else and then to cody's face he would he would act very differently when cody was around uh and it's sort of came out though and i like this it came out that uh cody sort of understood what this was like there was a very interesting segment where i think him mjf and brandy were having dinner and (laughs) mjf and brandy ended up just like swearing up a storm with just like some really brutal (laughs) insults at each other and cody heard some of it and you know cody sort of tweaked onto this but still Thought even though MJF wasn't the greatest dude, he he saw a bit of himself in MJF I think, and and still saw MJF as someone he he wanted to mentor, particularly as Dynamite kicked off, and you know he had MJF in his corner at all out when it was the match against Sean Spears, and in the feud with Jericho, MJF was constantly by his side. It was you know MJF gave him the the scarf to punch through the the glass in in that build up. I thought it was a really interesting character dynamic having, you know, the guy who was the lead face with a guy that everyone knows is at some point going to be just this absolutely completely dislikable villain Uh, in in the initial positioning of their characters.
1: Oh, definitely. And you brought up a great point there. I think every person watching the show knew that as soon as MJF started coming into the Nightmare family, that He was eventually going to turn, but credit to AEW, they they didn't do it immediately. They Mm. let it breathe, and that is one thing I love about uh, AEW. They're good storytellers. I mean, take a look at who you have. You have Cody Rhodes. The cliché gets beaten down um, into the dirt to death, but he is the son of one of the best storytellers From the 1980s NWA, Hmm. Dusty Rhodes, the dude could put together a compelling story in his sleep, (laughs) and Cody and Dustin are much the same way. They let this go, like you said, the scarf in the infamous uh, Dippin' Dot segment. Um, (laughs) And then they tease it, and they tease it, and then you get to that world title match, which ironically Chris Jericho is part of, and then he finally turns – and they told enough of a story to where everyone, I, most people I want to think had stopped going, you know what? MJF's going to be faced for a while. We can go with this. And then he turns, and I think everyone was like, we saw it coming, but how did we not see it coming? They did it so perfectly. Yeah. And then you get to the actual build for this match, mm. which is almost a different segment entirely. Mm. I mean, this was so well done.
0: I will, I will woo you up there a little bit. You're getting a little bit of
1: a head. <laughs> you get, Sorry.
0: You, you're getting excited there, How? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I really like how that, as you said, everyone knew what was going to happen at some point. And I like that so often you see face characters when they're around a heel, they're they're idiots basically. And and it would have been easy for Cody to be completely oblivious to this, but they didn't do that. And, and Cody gets flack for talking about how he doesn't believe in heels and faces. But, and and I think to some degree, like I, I also li- like to lean into the idea that it, it can be more complex than that. And, and this is a good example of what I'd call like three dimensional characters, you know, Cody is the top face and, he sees himself in this character and he believes that he can make a difference in this character's life and he can see the potential so he wants to be around it wants to mentor it wants to nurture it of course as you said that all kind of blew up in his face uh, when when he did turn on cody at full gear in the world championship match the stakes couldn't have been higher cody had said he would never challenge for the title again if he lost And MJF essentially, even though you could argue Cody was probably never going to win as sort of Miz fan and I did back in the very first episode of this of this series when talking about this match, you know, we don't think he was ever actually going to win this from the point that he dove over those ropes. But it still doesn't matter that. The power of that was taken out of his hands by MJF throwing in the towel and then giving him one of the big ones in the nuts, (laughs) a kick to the nuts afterwards to solidify the fact that this partnership was over. And one of the interesting things that happened at this point was they didn't immediately interact with each other. Um, MJF sort of took a break from, from Cody and didn't acknowledge Cody at first. Um, they had a segment with Chris Jericho. They talked about both disliking Cody Rhodes. But after that, MJF went on to go into this tournament for the Dynamite Diamond Ring, which he won. Uh, and and Cody was sort of left in limbo a little bit. This is This is a kind of a weird moment in their program. What did you think of this sort of little moment here before we get into, you know, once things hit and once things hit, they really hit. But what did you think of this sort of break that they had in between?
1: I actually kind of liked it, you know, as wrestling fans, pretty much um, after you've been watching the product for even a month, two months, three months, you're almost sort of conditioned to, okay, this is plot point A, we're going to immediately move into plot point B, then plot point C, and so Mm. on and so on and so forth. And AEW has done, you know, they don't do it all the time, but every once in a while they almost subvert expectations mm. and when they get it right dag gum do they get it right yeah. um yeah i think everyone was looking for cody to come out for blood and mjf to you know come right which if you look at mjf's character that's not what's going to happen mm. but you expected them to interact on dynamite following full gear and the fact that they kept them away is a testament to how well mm. and how much restraint that they had for this. And I honestly applaud them because, you know, the dynamite diamond ring, I still don't understand its function. I think it's probably more of a MacGuffin or red herring than anything else um, because MJF's had that for like two years now. Yeah, well, it's I,
0: something it's something MJF can use to put to cheat,
1: really. <laughs> That's kind of what no, it becomes. Like I mean, up. realistically. Yeah. I think it might have been something for a special prop for him. And if you take a look at it, you can almost, I'm draw very, very loose parallels between the dynamite diamond ring of MJF and Cody's run with the ROH world title, how he made Mm. an actual ring of honor. And he was telling people, you know, to kiss the ring and, you know, you see MJF's mannerisms when he has the dynamite diamond ring on He's almost holding it up in front of your face to go, you know, come on, kiss the ring almost. And he, does like kiss this it. Is, he kisses it himself, too. Exactly. Um, so that's another I think it's prop it may be completely coincidental. And if it's not, props to them. But it's another added layer of character because MJF already has these amazing physical and psychological attributes. Yep. You're just giving him another. Tool which yeah mm. but,
0: and i think i think it, it was a bit of, probably realistically it was probably a nice blend of where like practically they didn't want to go straight into the feud because they had this match penciled for the pay-per-view revolution but that's not till the end of february and they didn't want to stretch it too far and, and that's like the practical aspect but they still managed to weave like the character into it where like mjf with his character he doesn't want to get into the ring with this frothing at the mouth coming for blood Cody Rhodes, you know, he knows is going to be gunning for his head, and he knows that in many ways that he's outmatched um, with at this point. Uh, And that's where we come to why he put these stipulations in place, which we'll get into. As a character, he knows – he actually knows himself very well, uh, and he knows that he is outmatched when it comes to Cody Rhodes, which leads to the stipulations that he puts in place when he does win that and when Cody eventually – talks himself into this into this confrontation uh mjf says i'll do it but before we do it you have to agree to a number of things firstly you can't touch me before we get to our match secondly you have to beat wardlow in a steel cage match and thirdly you have to get down on your knees and let me give you 10 lashes and once this program hit man at this moment, I still think this is the one of the absolute pinnacles for AEW when this nice was hitting and the, the program with John Moxley and Chris Jericho was hitting and the program with Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and The Bucks was hitting. This is like some of the best TV that AEW has ever put together. And this particular part is a huge part of it, particularly – and I want to get to the lashes segment. Um, because I feel like my question to you, I guess, is: Is this the best segment of TV that AEW has produced? That's how highly I think of this this particular one. I don't know if, what the answer is to that, but but I want to ask the question to you, Howard.
1: Well, first of all, um, like I said, nice choice using the uh, pinnacle there, um, concerning MJF's, <laughs> turn, um, you know, <laughs> completely faction, unintended,
0: but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> you know. Like you said, the build for this, the trials of Cody, and I know I kind of alluded to this earlier, but with Cody working with or MJF working with Cody and then Chris Jericho, you can almost look at the trials of Cody as almost like an early prototype for MJF's later feud with Chris Jericho. How he had the labors of Jericho and he did this in such like a Machiavellian way. To Mm. where, okay, I know that you would love nothing more than to rip my head off. So the one thing, my first thing, you can't touch me. And that Mm. plays such an integral role in the Lashes segment. Mm. But then the steel cage match with Wardlow, it tripled down in terms of its importance. Not only Mm. is it a trial of Cody, it's also the first cage match in AEW history. And oh, by the way... The debut match for Wardlow, who at this point becomes MJF's heavy. No pressure at all. No, none at all here. But the lashes segment. So, yeah, there's just like so much grit
0: and fire and heart and passion from Cody. And as like the way that they produced it with as the the lashes happen first, Dustin comes out, then the bucks come out, the heels come out as well to kind of observe and watch watch cody get his licks and then of course as cody looks like he's just about to break brandy comes down as well to give him that energy and give him that motivation to to go on and take these lashes that are being dealt out everyone loves the character in this they love the fire how dramatically they drew it out hey mjf and how wardlow did it and i I as well just love the subtext of it with like the whole point is MJF, but his primary goal is to make Cody Rhodes quit. He wants Cody Rhodes to not take the lashes. So then he doesn't have to go against him in this match. And then having not taken the lashes, if he's going to take the lashes, then B, he wants to injure him as much as possible because MJF, as I said, he knows who he is. He knows that he wants to win but he knows that if it's a fair fight, he is outgunned and he's outmatched. So he has to do these things. Um, he has to put these stipulations in place so that he has some sort of an advantage going into it to, to even the playing field. But, man, like the fire and the heart in this segment is just incredible. And the way the crowd gets into it, it, it it's, it's something else, man.
1: It definitely is. And a third factor, and they play into this, and by the way, I'll answer the question that you asked kind of where this ranks in terms of um segments in North American wrestling. If it's not the best, it's top three or yeah, even top five. Um, yeah. this segment is Cody's magnum opus in terms of mm. anyone who says wants to say, oh, he's not good at telling stories. If you know you're out there, you're entitled to your opinion. I think it's the best segment in AEW history. And like you would mentioned earlier, this was such a stack time in order to be able to stand out, you know, going into Revolution, which might be AEW's best pay-per-view. I think I'm not Hmm. going out on a limb and saying that. But there's also a third thing that MJF wants to do. He either wants to get him to quit. He either wants him not to take the lashes. But also, they mention it like five or six times, he wants – to piss Cody off so badly that Cody breaks that first trial. Ah, uh, yep, yep. As he mentions yep, over and over it. again, "Hit me, hit me." Yeah, you're you right. Like you're right. Hit me. The the amount of face to face stare downs, nose to nose, to where you could barely fit a slip of paper between their nose so they're they're not actually touching. And then, like you said, the during the segment they space everything out perfectly you have arn anderson come down you have the young bucks who i think this is one of their only interactions with cody and acknowledgement that their friends kind of in canon or on screen certainly you certainly put,
0: they brawled a lot with when the inner circle was happening when when that stuff was going on but this is certainly one of the few time one of the last times i think that they've mm-hmm. done that mm, that there's been like uh, some sort of acknowledgement of their their friendship their, their previous union <laughs> depending of how course. much you know what the dirt sheets say
1: is true about this relationship yeah. <laughs> but the one that sticks out to me and i've watched this particular part of the segment god knows how many times but the final lash i don't know whether it was intentional or not But if you look at it closely, that final lash isn't, of course, you know, it's not on Cody's back, Hmm. but it hits Cody in his dream tattoo on his chest. And I I will go to the end of my days wanting to know if that was intentional or whether it was just one of the luckiest (laughs) coincidences in wrestling history, because you're already feeling for Cody. Yep. Like, this is, you know, early days of AEW where Cody is the hero and everything like that. Yep. He's the bright, shining light. Yep. And not only is he doing something that wouldn't necessarily be out of place in 1980s NWA, you know, early days. Yeah, WC, so much grit. Like Old school Southern wrestling, I think, is the term. It's like, that it's they like straight out of Mid-South. Exactly. But that final lash to the dream tattoo right over his heart, and it sends everyone scurrying in. It's just mm, chess yep. kiss. It's one yep. of the most perfect capstones to an already phenomenal segment that yep. they haven't really topped. No. And that Saints because they, the only other things
0: I can think of, just off the top of my head, is the John Moxley Eddie Kingston face to face um before full gear 2020 uh the cm punk debut because of just how insane it was and and possibly the eddie kingston cm punk promo segment which was was quite recent (laughs) Uh, i I don't know how where i'd rank they're the three that immediately pop out to mind in terms of legendary segments they've had the last thing I'll add about this before we kind of move on to the actual match itself, you know, half hour in where we're getting, finally getting to the match um, is I well, love that MJF no. leaves. When MJF leaves, he's like more pissed off than before he delivered those lashes. You'd think those lashes would make him happy, but they didn't because he didn't achieve his goal. He didn't get Cody to quit. He didn't get Cody to take a swing at him. So he's one step further into getting getting into this match that he doesn't actually want to be a part of. And of course, as we said, there's the cage match. Um, With Wardlow, I don't want to get into that match because that was actually another match that made this list. (laughs) So at some point with someone down the line, I'll I'll be doing a more deep dive into that one, other than to say it was excellent, as we've both said. And also note that Cody, in the end, broke his toe when he moonsaulted off the top of the cage to get the the final pin for, which is something that will play into the actual match itself between the two of them. Did you have anything quick just to talk about with the cage match without you know going too, too in-depth?
1: No, the only thing I can say, really, they set the bar high, and I think they at least met it. Um, yep. I can't wait to hear the uh, podcast when you talk about uh, that, that particular match, I'm sure it's going to be a great one. Yeah.
0: And... Not scheduled yet, but I'm sure it'll pop up with someone at some point. Cause it was a, you know, a really good match and something that's, bit of a landmark for the company itself as well. Anyway, getting to this match itself at Revolution 2020, the first of the Revolutions, um, this match went on second last, which is pretty heady billing. They've had big matches in that position pretty much exclusively. So, you know, it talks to how how much they were promoting this match, how big of a star um, Cody was at the time um, and how much of a big deal he was in the company at the time. And also, you know, what they thought of MJF as well. Of course, the entrances MJF gets giant boos, and there's you know a brilliant a little touch that I liked was the Burberry trim that sort of went down the down the main screen and then down the LED board they had on the on the entrance ramp. I, I love this revolution setup, and you know, they've kind of did it again at the Arthur Ashe. It, it looks like it's a little bit slippery, so it doesn't work so well with people running on it. But I I don't know, it's something that's a nice touch for pay-per-views that I hope they keep going back to every now and again, mm. and. Cody, of course. Cody gets the entrance of all entrances here. <laughs> Firstly, he's walking from the back. That. Um, he's walking from the back as he did it all out when he went into that NWA match. Then he comes out and he's getting sung to the ring by Downstate. But amongst it all, um, people sort of noticed that there was a bit something something a bit funny with Cody Rhodes's neck. Um, and then of course it was revealed the Nightmare tattoo on his neck the nightmare family tattoo logo on his neck um what did you think of his entrance howard
1: i'm so glad you brought that up (laughs) because
0: as someone else put it who's you know a bit bit funnier and a bit smarter than me he got a neck tattoo on his chest and a chest tattoo on his neck
1: (laughs) exactly but i love how one of the more ostentatious heels that we had on that show and there's a lot of (laughs) of ostentatious actually had the more muted entrance meanwhile big face gets a you know double or nothing esque entrance the segment's 34 minutes the first eight minutes of it are entrances and the first six of that are cody's entrance like come on and of course he gets all of the pyro like i don't know what their pyro budget is in aew but cody just takes a look at and goes mine In his
0: contract, he's got, like, a percentage note of what the budget is, and that's... That's got to be it.
1: (laughs) But also, at the same time, kidding aside, it sets up everything. It gives further credence that this is a big match. You Mm. want to pay attention to this match. And AEW, for the most part, does that in spades. The matches that are important, they give that big match feel. You know, like you said, the Burberry trim... Um, entrance ramp for MJF that subtlety and everything like that for him because you know at the end of the day MJF he's not really flashy he's I want to say kind of like Chris Jericho back in his no country for old men phase he's got this cool confidence about him you know he's not going to do all these random you know things just because he can do it he's not going to fit every heel trope in but mm. at the same time, it's subtle. He's got his 300-pound, you know, Mount Everest in Wardlow. Yeah. He's got the Burberry scarf. He's got the subtle music that just lets you know I'm an, pardon the pun, elite competitor. Mm. You all need to be envious of me, and that's all you need to know, and I'll do my talking kind of yeah. in the ring. He, Meanwhile, he's not quite times. as
0: that's – that's an interesting comparison you make to Chris Jericho's, like, 2009 character 2008 2009 character i wouldn't say he's as like completely muted and and like serial killer stone cold-esque as uh, not stone cold stone cold (laughs) you know what i'm saying he's not he's but he's not like he's not necessarily like the the gorgeous george school of um of heel where it's you know like everything is turned up to 11 you know like the sean michaels 90s pretty boy deal it's not not quite that either it's it's sort of somewhere in between that right oh, yeah. you know i i didn't love that i don't think downstate covered themselves with glory in their performance here but you know it, sure, it, it still man, puts it though. over as what it what it does do for me is it puts over how important this is for cody um he's he has got this massive entrance because to him this is a giant deal um this is a guy that you know stole his chance to be world champion ever in this company that he created and this company that he loves. So for him, this is, uh, and also personally betrayed him. Um, So, so this is something that, um, you know, is really important to him and and that plays into it because as soon as the bell rings, Cody just absolutely goes for MJF's head. You know, he's, um, he's going after him really hard. The crowds chant him, fuck him up, Cody, fuck him up. You know, they've bought into this and, you when when they actually do come to blows, Cody gets the best of the two opening exchanges that they have, so much so that MJF just rolls out of the ring and, you know, sort of starts jawjacking with the crowds, throws a beer can, calls calls a fan a coward. It's an interesting, you know, an interesting trope that's of of the the heel early on just getting out of the ring and, and ignore completely trying to neuter the baby faces, the, the faces or the heroes fire early on. What what do you think of it in terms of a, a way to set up a match?
1: It's a unique tactic. Um, but once again, it's one that fits with MJF. I know we, we're we going to beat the fact that we're glowing about MJF's character into the <laughs> ground at some point. In fact, I think I can see a hole already starting to form. <laughs> um, but I don't think it works with every type of heel. You've got to have a specific type of mm. heel. That it works. If you had other heels that are more flashy and everything like that, try it. It may work once or twice, but the fact that MJF can prolong it as much as he does, because I don't think the match yeah. proper, starts for a good three minutes until after the bell rings, but it yeah. works for him.
0: And then, it's something. It's funny because with it, it's yeah. something that like annoys the bejesus out of me when it comes to like Bullet Club in New Japan. You know, like Jay White does this, Kenta does this, Evil does it. And really, I don't know when when those guys do it. I it it's not like it's not a good kind of. This annoys me. It's just like just bloody wrestle. But when I don't know, when MJF does it in this match, it, it works. And I think part of it is just the way that MJF, George acts with the crowd, George acts with Cody a little bit. Um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like he's just trying to annoy the fans in a meta way. It, it feels like it's part of the actual match. And, and as we said, MJF knows that he's outmatched. And so it makes sense that he doesn't want to, immediately take Cody on like head on. He wants to come at it from an angle, so to speak.
1: Um, And and, you
0: know, this, this continues to, to sort of go on as I I forgot how dominant Cody was early in this match. Like he's the one that gets all of the big offense. He gets a cutter when MJF finally rolls back in Um, MJF rolls up the ramp. (laughs) And then Cody takes this giant run down the, down the ramp and does this huge clothesline to get him back in the ring. And, (laughs) The first two pieces of offense MJF gets in are a thumb to the eye and stomping Cody's broken toe. Like straight away he's he's not trying to strike with him or get him in an arm hold. He's going for a, one a, a thumb to the eye, which is never a nice thing to take, and then two straight to the broken straight for the broken toe.
1: He's using his advantages. I mean, <laughs> you've alluded to it multiple times. MJF knows he can't beat Cody, and you take a look, because I know um, Jim Ross and Excalibur and Tony Schiavone talk about Cody's actually did well as an amateur wrestler growing mm. up and everything, so playing into everything, it makes sense. MJF's not going to try and out-wrestle Cody, because he knows he can't beat him that way. Instead, he knows about the injuries. He's going to take every advantage he can on the margins, on um, Almost like a baseball pitcher, knowing he can't throw over the heart of the plate, he's going to work on the margins, see if he can get something to work, see if he can get Cody to chase, if you will. But one thing I love, the fact that for a lot of grudge matches, typically, or grudge matches, the trope tends to sometimes be, okay, these guys hate each other. Let's start with a (laughs) lockup. They don't in this match. They let it simmer, and when they finally do, it's fists are flying, you know? Mm. They don't do that rest hold, rest hold to start. They play off the importance that if you're in an actual fight, you're not going to be going for a headlock takeover with someone. You're going to want to beat the ever loving crap out of someone. And they do that really well, apart yeah. from that clothesline spot, which just irks the living daylights out of me. Oh, but I if, like that one. <laughs> it, it's for show. It's for show. I
0: get it. like The big run. The big the run.
1: The big run from downtown.
0: Like,
1: <laughs> you know what's coming. It's like, does it really. Oh, oh, I get it's for sure. Did it really?
0: Okay. Okay. Cody, <laughs> oh, you have
1: this one. I mean, you had your pyro earlier, but come
0: <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> the next sort of big moment in the match, and it's the first one that involves outside stuff. So Brandy is outside, she throws a beer on Wardlow. Um, Wardlow sort of follows her around, stalking her as if he's going to take some sort of revenge. Arn gets in the way and Cody jumps down to intercept him with a huge suicide dive, which the crowd loves. Um, he then stomps the crap out of Wardlow. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is one of the things that Cody gets criticism for for is like what we what some call the smoke and mirrors of a Cody Rhodes match. Um sort of the the things that he does that aren't necessarily just the one-on-one match to generate audience appear like generates an audience reaction. The critique is that it's some sort of like a shortcut almost. And this definitely is one of those tropes that would get labeled with that. Now I know that you're someone who likes Cody and you're so, you you picked this match to to do. So I wanted to to think to to hear what you think about that critique of of a Cody Rhodes match.
1: I can see it kind of like with all of my sports, I have my certain favorites. Like my favorite wrestler of all time is Sting and he had enough tropes to, <laughs> you know, in his matches to go on forever. I can understand why Cody gets these things. And I will say this. I normally don't mind it. That suicide dive almost took me out of the match just a little bit. Um, I see why they did it because you have this almost menagerie of people. You have Brandy. um, You have Arn, You have Wardlow um, just staying outside the ring, essentially not really doing anything. So you almost had to invite them in somehow. And I know – They get involved later on, but it's almost like they, and I don't know how true this is, it's almost like they said, okay, we've got to do something to, you know, pop the crowd a little bit. So we're going to have this interference. Wardlow's never hitting Brandy or anything like that. Mm. We know that. But Cody's the hero. He's got, what's one thing heroes do? They save their spouses and everything like that. So, boom. There you go. Plus, it gives MJF some time to recoup and he'd been taking quite a shellacking at that point so i will say for the purposes of that really good kind of transitional moment bike and i normally don't mind the spots but i can see where cody does get that to allude to one of his earlier wwf themes you're only and mirrors type of things
0: <laughs> yeah um, i i'm kind of a bit torn on these because as much as i kind of understand the idea that it's a one-on-one match. It's not; they're not sort of traditional wrestling moves or anything. But I feel like it's almost like something like this, or something like blading. It's as equally a, a tool in a wrestler's arsenal to pull out as say a super. Awesome to say Kenny to to say Kenny Omega to put put Kenny Omega as a, as an option as like say a dragon screw or a V trigger. Like they're tools that he uses to get pops from the crowd. And and Cody he isn't as athletic. Let's just be honest. He's not as athletic as Kenny Omega in the ring. And so he relies on different tools that he is sort of honed and perfected and can can insert at different points. And I think there is a there's a craft to doing it. Like like just like there's a as Nick Cage Nick Gage Nick Gage not Nick Cage. <laughs> Nick Gage said on a I, I listened to an interesting podcast with him and Chris Jericho a a few months ago and he was saying he hates watching some deathmatch wrestling because there's no they're just hitting each other and there's no art to it and, and, you know, that's a guy who his tools and the things that he uses are things like a pizza cutter, which, you know, not most wrestlers don't <laughs> use that. But they're the tools in his box, and he deploys them when he needs to, and he deploys them expertly. Just like I would say, you know, like there is skill in how Cody deploys these things in his match. And I I personally feel like they're, they're sometimes overlooked and sometimes Whiffed away without thinking about how the actual art behind putting a spot like this together um, and, a, and a moment like this together. We've got to keep going though, and there's there's a lot of back and forth between them as we've said. MJF cheating his way, <laughs> angling his way into competing in this match. A, a very cool moment that I I that stuck with me and that I'd forgotten about but was reminded of how good it was when i did my rewatch was when cody mjf finally grounds cody and gets him in the salt of the earth and then he eventually pulls the other arm away and eventually traps his legs and forcing cody to as he goes to the ropes you know normally a wrestler would put his put his foot on the ropes or or grab the ropes with his free arm he has to grab it with his teeth and you know he's not the first to do that but it i thought it was a really interesting and a really cool way to have MJF do something really brutal, um, but also give Cody something that, you know, was a unique way for him to show his grit and his heart, that that he's fighting with literally every fiber of his being and, and holding on to this match by the literally the skin of his teeth.
1: Oh, definitely. I think MJF's been watching tapes of uh, Zack Sabre Jr. in New Japan because that <laughs> was, I know he started off as salt of the earth, but it turned into like an omoplata and then he took his, Yep. Right leg behind him, almost like a bow and arrow. like that. I, I'd expect to see something out of that, that like out of ZSJ yep. in the D1. It was amazing. But like you said, Cody grabs the rope literally by the skin of his teeth, and it sets up a great moment, great visual um, to progress the storytelling. This was an awesome story told in this match. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. And, and pretty soon afterwards, MJF rips Cody's boot off to to expose the broken toe. And then afterwards, that as they continue to fight, MJF he actually gets toe. busted open. Yeah, he bites the toe, uh, and MJF gets busted open. At that point, both people have their target that they're going for. Cody has a toe that MJF is going to go for. And MJF has a forehead that's split open that Cody's going to go for, which I, I thought it was a simple and interesting setup. There was a funny moment though, that I wanted to bring up. And I, I feel like it was really disjointed. It really took me out of the match. Cody sort of at, at one point throws up the Randy Orton pose and then puts, puts MJF in for a draping DD two that that, that draping DDT that Orton does and that Michael Cole forever counts. It's calls the vintage of Orton. <laughs> um, what did you think of this? Like, I don't know. This felt really weird to me that where they inserted in the match and how it obviously Cody has a leg, has a legacy of, um, of, of being influenced by Randy Orton, but I don't know. It just did not fit for me is, is that the same for you or have you got some sort of defense of this little moment here?
1: I don't. This is where the whole yeah. Cody's the three star savior, you know, credit, Rich Flotta, you know, this is the whole, like you'd mentioned earlier, the smoke and mirrors routine. Yeah. I,
0: this is where it didn't
1: work for me. This, this is where as much as I like Cody, as much as I like how his, you know, how he's grown up and everything like that this didn't need to be in the match. They were telling a fine enough story and then, yeah, I'm less said about this, the better. Yeah. Um, but yeah.
0: Leading up to the final bit, the, there's one particular spot I wanted to, to call out. There was this huge spot where MJF gets suplexed over the ropes, but holds onto Cody's neck and Cody like has to rip over after him, like whiplash over after him. That was a really cool spot, and I haven't seen it a whole lot before. I'm sure they're not the first people to do it, but I, I thought that was really well executed and looked really cool.
1: The, they did that. Like I cringe, like
0: yeah, it looks painful. Remembering yeah.
1: it, the fact yeah. that there's so much that could go wrong. They did really well setting yeah. up that spot, and then it plays really well into the finish of the match. But. Yeah,
0: and in, in, in the in that sort of finishing stanza, they they have a bit of a strike exchange. The Cody gets the better of, but then MJF counters into a the double cross, which is just him doing a crossroads. But then, Beautiful. as MJ he he grabs Cody's weight belt and goes to to hit him with it. But Cody hits his own low blow as the ref is taking the the weight belt off of MJF, uh, and then a vertebra for a big two count. And then Cody gets up and gives MJF a lash, which the referee allows interesting I kind of understand it like this guy's been, he's they're he giving out so many lashes and I love that the referee the aew referees have personality and he's just like yeah whatever just don't don't go too far um but then of course MJF cows in the corner cries at Cody's feet <laughs> just as Cody's thinking, "Oh, can I save this because of course he's a hopeless. He's a hopeless romantic who who thought that he could mentor this person who he knew was a piece of crap." And in the the moment where he hesitates, MJF spits at him in his face. Cody then takes that, hits three crossroads, but MJF counters as Cody goes for the final. Cody keeps going for punishment, gets carried away. MJF manages to counter, hits him with the dynamite diamond ring, which he which he'd put into his hand without the referee knowing and gets the three count what did you think of the ending of the match howard
1: so the ending of the match was pretty well done except for the dynamite diamond ring thing at the end and it's not even the fact that it was how it was there's a little bit of dubiousness in there but i'll get to that in a second everything plays perfectly cody's hubris gets the better of him um Hmm. and i think as a face That's the one thing that you can say about Cody. He's, you know, great, but if you get him fired up, there's a good chance you can beat him. Um, (laughs) um, Classic cliche, an angry fighter is a sloppy fighter. Sure enough, spits in the face. One of the worst things that a man can do to a man is spit in his face, and that riles Cody up, and you see it. One crossroad should have been enough, but he's got Cody incensed. So Cody picks him up for another one. When is enough enough, Cody? It's not enough. You could beat him right there. But no, he's got to go for that third one. And MGF knows it. Hits a knee to the head coming off Mm -hmm. that – going for that third one. And then that's where the dubiousness comes in because you see referee Paul Turner just kind of look at Arne Anderson enough to where – MJF reaches into his trunks, pulls out the dynamite diamond ring, socks Cody with it, shoves in his trunk, theatrically kind of hits the ropes and falls down, and Paul Turner turns around. It's like, what the heck? Mm. Oh, well. One, two, three. That's about the only criticism. The fact that they had to do such a comical... Why why Mm. is Paul Turner looking at Arn? Arn's not going to be able to do anything. Come on, (laughs) buddy. Yeah, yeah. It... If I had to give that particular segment like a rating, I'd probably rate it four and three-quarter stars out of five. That dubiousness of <laughs> having to turn around. Yeah. They, there's not much you can do to make that okay because there's only, so mu- there's only so much staging that you can do there for it. But damn. Damn. But overall, perfect way in because MJF, as you mentioned earlier, he gets bust open. He's got one of the better crimson masks, fit, crimson mask faces, I think, yeah. and yeah. facials in that
0: crimson mask. Yeah, I talked about blood is, and guts a few weeks ago with Imp, and yeah. Oh, he yeah. Looks he looks good with some blood on his face, which is good because he's a heel. You want to see
1: him with some blood on his face? <laughs> but also one thing they do, they don't overdo that trope um, and everything. And I know that you look at stuff like performance art, and I'm not as big into that. um looking at through that lens not as well versed in it i'm working on it but this is a perfect one of the more perfect examples of wrestling as a form of performance art um because they pretty much hit all the right notes except for kind of what we discussed the tope suicida the vintage cody um and then i actually
0: thought the tope part worked like for me, yeah, that was team that team was a good example of, of it. The Orton part, man, that was that totally the like, vintage Cody? Yeah, that was um, weird. In yeah. this match particularly, I could imagine in other matches, but in this match, it did not make any sense to me.
1: Nope, you have got a blood feud. But wait, we're gonna like I can understand MJF going for the Heat Seeker because that's part of his, yep. you know, him bouncing and doing the DDT yeah. off rope, mm, but not the draping DDT thing. Like, yeah. But it's like overall,
0: um, when Cody teased the pedigree a few. Well, <laughs> everyone, everyone who listens knows this thing's pre-recorded. <laughs> when he teased the the pedigree a few a few weeks ago, but now months ago. <laughs> um, yeah, mm-hmm. look, it's, I told you yeah. that you had to avoid you know present stuff, and I'm the one that he that's here bringing it up out. <laughs> real professional on my end. Um, the. Look,
1: <laughs> excited about the product so you know it can be forgiven
0: (laughs) look the um the question that i had i guess looking at this match in totality as we've sort of said is there's like a lot of good stuff going on here but there's some disjointed parts this is the question that first came to my mind when i thought of this match did this match live up to the build everyone who wrote about this match in the definitive match guide talked about the build and and the match did not get anywhere near as much of the verbiage. This match was not something that people talked about as a match of the year contender, but it was something they talked about as a feud of the year contender. Did do you think this match lived up to the build?
1: I honestly it was a good match on a great show and it had an even better built as much as I like this match, you almost set up even though it was a prototype for what MJF would do kind of later on in his career, it didn't live up to it as much. i probably put the build at five stars and yeah. this match at like three and a half, three and three quarter. Yeah. When you do it that well, you're going to set a bar that's almost impossible to hit. So yeah. credit to them for doing what they did. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm split on this because –
0: one thing I will defend is I think this match perfectly finished off the feud in terms oh, of did. particularly with the way they ended it, the way they set it up, the way they started it, the way they ended it. There was some disjointed bits in the middle of the match, and the match, I, I think like athletically, maybe wasn't as what what we wanted and potentially didn't necessarily have quite like the the fire that maybe the Jericho match had, which which, as we talked about, as I talked about with Ms. Fan, weeks ago now, but is, is like the perfect Cody Rhodes face match. And and like the, almost the definitive, I'd agree with Ms. Fan. This is that that was Cody Rhodes greatest performance. I feel like this is the per, this is still the perfect ending to the actual feud. They had story wise and character wise. It just didn't necessarily hit in the action stakes, the way that we, you know, that, that we maybe want some matches to hit. And, I think that's one thing I'd like to to emphasize because this match, I think some people look at it as a flop a little bit, and I don't think it is the flop that people remember. It's not perfect, and I don't think either of us are saying that, but there's a lot going on character-wise and story in the actual match itself that I think make the match itself as good as the build um, or, or at least the perfect ending to the build, um, a perfect encapsulation of the build.
1: So if this Four. makes any sense, I think – you can almost kind of separate, like, in terms of the build, yeah, it was five-star build. The story that they told in the match, the story was five stars. The action itself to get as they progressed the story that moved the narrative along may not have been the five-star yeah. classic that we wanted it to be,
0: because they yeah. told
1: a hell of a story, but yeah. the moves that they used to tell the story may not have been perfect.
0: Yeah. In terms of Cody's run in AEW. I think this is this and the Cody the Jericho feud are the the pinnacle for him in AEW. I don't know if he'll ever get back to this point. I don't think in fact I don't think he intends to in many ways in terms of the way that his his run has gone. Where do you think this match and and this program ranks for
1: Cody? So, if it doesn't beat the Jericho feud, it's definitely a one a. You could talk me into yeah. this being Cody's best feud. Yeah. Um. So I will caveat you saying, oh, he potentially doesn't want to hit that heights. They're doing a damn good job of telling a great story right mm, now, now, present day. But we'll save that mm. for a history to decide. Yeah. You
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> history in the future. Um. And of course the T, uh, like the T and run into the Brody Lee stuff is incredible like awesome bits of business actually yeah like not, but yeah. i still think i still think like the jericho feud um and the performance in the full gear match and then the build to this match i don't know for me that's the pinnacle of cody as a character in AEW so far
1: um overall yeah yeah, yeah. Overall, yeah. um um how, best hero ever gonna be right now yeah. he's he's he was perfect as a hero there
0: yeah for, for mjf he's done a lot since this um you know as we talked about he he went into a feud well he had a a brief feud where he went, was with jungle Pet against jungle boy they had an absolute banger at double or nothing um in 2020 then he went straight into a, a program with mox for the championship and then like a year-long program with jericho where he well he didn't necessarily get the final win but he he ended up three one up on jericho uh and then you know he he is gone a long way since then but how do you think this match in particular affected mjf's overall trajectory
1: overall i know i mentioned it earlier this laid the groundwork for everything that mjf would become mm. because i think this match was cody looking at a um someone who could be a future star in mjf and going okay let's sink or swim here buddy and yep. i think mjf not only lived up to the high- he exceeded it, kind of. Um, his character work was spot on as this Machiavellian heel, and it's only gone there. I mean, you take a look. He infiltrated over the course of his time in AEW. He infiltrated two factions in the Nightmare family and then the Inner Circle.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he
1: somehow came out more dastardly coming out of each one than before and doing it in two different ways. With Cody, hmm. he was this simpering, you know, I, I'm just trying to get better kind of thing. But he's also got an attitude. Yeah. And in, in the feud with Jericho, which I know you've probably uh, got a couple of podcasts to record potentially about that, he came in to the inner circle knowing who he was, but almost wanting to go to Jericho as a place of mentorship And then he comes out looking even more dastardly than before, um, Mm. kind of pulling the wool over the eyes of this wizened veteran, which it's hard to believe that Jericho's been in the business for over 30 years. Jeez. But (laughs) this lays the groundwork for everything that MJF has become, and it's done so well. There's nothing that's overly done about it. And that's weird to say in wrestling because they tend— wrestling can sometimes jump the shark with things. He's had a good progression overall. And, you know, I can't wait to see where MJF goes from here. He is a future star in this business.
0: Oh, what he already is a star. He, he is already well, a star.
1: Yeah. Um, He's going to be a world champion in some promotion yeah. at some point. He's one of the, you know, Jim Ross calls them blue chippers. And he's even said that in front <laughs> of I'm a blue chipper. He knows it, but he doesn't let the hype affect him, or at least right now on the surface. He doesn't let the hype affect him. So props him. I can't wait to see where he goes next.
0: Yeah. No, look, I, I would just echo your words there. Like this sets things up for MJF. This is this is the first major program he has in in AW. Like for most people, this is the first major program he has that they've ever seen of him. You know, for myself, I didn't watch MLW, so I, I didn't see him in that. So uh, this was the first, as you said, this was like a sink or swim. And you know, like he, he, Ian thought Michael Phelps. This <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, just just shot the lights out with this program and only went on to bigger and better things. So, and and you know, this this match is an absolute indelible part of the story of who MJF is and who he's going to be in the future. So. Yeah, look, as as we said, this is something that is a a major historic item for AEW. So um, I'm really glad we got to to dive into it. How did you have anything you'd like to add before we round things up today?
1: No, um, all I can say is once again, um, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to another great fan of uh, this great business. Business. And once again, thanks to every person who contributed and everyone who's uh, taking part in these podcasts. It, it's going to be fun kind of taking a look. I got my degree in advertising. I love figuring out the why of things. So I'm kind of interested to see different perspectives as to the why of how different people, because I know why I love most of these. But it's always fun getting different ones, and I can't wait to see how this uh, podcast series progresses. So, yeah. thank you.
0: And if people want to find you, where can they find you, Howard?
1: So, um, my Twitter is at Howard underscore E underscore Shill. That's S C H I L L. I know it's a long handle. I'm usually there. I love talking about WV sports. I work for uh, the Walt Disney Company, and so you'll see me on there talking about Disney and sports and wrestling. So, yeah. Yep. And I'll I'll make sure that that your Twitter handle is in the bio if people want
0: to jump on there and follow you. As I said at the start, this is one of the, my favorite guys to talk about wrestling with. So um, I, I would highly recommend hitting the follow button for Howard. And, yeah, look, thank you very much for being a part of this show, Howard. Thank you for um, dedicating some time to this. It's been a real pleasure to to chat to you and to to dig into this match. And thank you also to everyone for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. Come tell me why I was wrong about Samuel saying this match is, is is that is better than people give it credit for i uh, I'd be more than happy to have that conversation there and make sure you join in next week um, for the podcast next week we'll be looking at Veni versus emmy secure from the women's elimination tournament and i'll be doing that with sam roberts so make sure you tune in there and make sure you check out all of the great shows we have here on the social suplex network uh, and you can also subscribe and Um, To this podcast on the podcast app of your choice and why don't you write a review or tell a friend about it if you enjoyed it i'd really appreciate it if you did however uh, until next time i will say goodbye and thank you very much
1: for listening i'll see you next week
0: thanks for listening to the AEW match guide podcast if you enjoyed the show then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore semi. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.